Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Paul, welcome to the Arate podcast. Uh, This has been a long time coming. I think I've invited you on a number of times in the past. It's good to finally have you here. It's finally be great, great to be here, Richard. <laughs> so uh, I think you and I have known each other, gosh, for probably about 15 years, I reckon. I think that's about right. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, at one stage, I very briefly dated your uh, EA. But I can't remember <laughs> if that's how I met you or I met her through you. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't know, Richard. Uh, uh, we'll have to leave that one in the uh, big question mark basket. <laughs> and certainly over the uh, the last sort of 11 years since I've owned Arate, uh, you know, we've had quite a number of interactions. Uh, you've come on to a few of my events. I've been to a few of your events. But uh, why don't we just get started? Just let people know who are, people who are listening in, Paul, um, uh, what are you up to now? What's your, uh, what's keeping you occupied professionally? What's my stick? Um, so, Richard, as you know, I'm a, I'm a creative at heart, uh, and I'm I'm currently, uh, I suppose, splitting my time into three things. Uh, one is um, painting, both in oils and watercolors. And as you know, I've been a, a painter for you know the last thirty years, but after the last ten, because of you know commitment with kids and things, I've let it drop. Uh, I'm also writing, and I'm uh, writing my currently my first book. Um, and I, and I teach by way of masterclasses and speaking around um, connecting uh, creativity with, with business, uh, the essence of creative and business. So that's, that's it, I suppose, in a, in a nutshell. Is your book a, a novel or something to do with your professional orientation? No, it's a, it's a book to do with uh, my professional orientation. Right. So it's around, um, and we can talk more about it, but it's around... Uh, it's around the tension that uh, exists in in the creative process. Um, it's the tension between, I suppose, the positive and negative aspects. I call it the the creative or well, creativity ions, being I O N S, liking it to atoms that connect uh, because of a negative or positive charge. And I think creativity is the same. So each parts of creativity have a yin and a yang, uh, and you can't have one without the other. And so, for instance, and again, we'll discuss more later, but you know, with inspiration, there's always distraction. And you can't really have the inspiration unless at times you have distraction. Mm-hmm. But what it's all about is staying focused towards inspiration because if you stay in distraction too long, then you end up in addiction and you start going down a rabbit hole. So the idea is to stay more focused to the positive side, which will lead to ideation. Uh, that's in the in the in the first instance. So, the book is really about that, and it and it draws on my experience of career of forty years as a as an architect, an artist, uh, a business leader, um, a tech chair, um, you know, a, a property developer, of all manner of things, both creative and uh, practical, mm-hmm. uh, and to to uh, to um, explore those tensions. Mm-hmm. So you're not actively working as an architect anymore. Uh, look, I have a small studio that I haven't closed, but I'm not actively seeking uh, architectural opportunities, uh, which has always been seen to be the very best way to uh, 
uh, promote my practice because when I don't look, they turn up and I look, they seem to run away. <laughs> so <laughs> I have people knocking on my door uh, and what I'm doing is uh, partnering with people because I do love, uh, you know, the creative aspect of it, especially at the beginning, but people are better at delivering. So the work that I'm doing uh, is on a purely collaborative basis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and really, if you look across your art and your writing and so on, your orientation is very much around bringing chaos, uh, chaos bringing creativity, uh, could be chaotic creativity, but bringing creativity into business. So whereas a lot of people in the art space are almost uh, uh, adverse to you know, considering the business elements of what they do, it seems to me as though you're more in the space of encouraging people in traditional business to be uh, have a, a stronger creative uh, consideration to their work. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that, that's correct, Richard. And I suppose the reason is, you know, I, I'm passionate about creativity um, and in a career that has spanned, you know, pure, pure creativity in, the art, in an artistic sense and, you know, business sense. We had 50 people uh, at a peak of our architectural company. I understand that the, a lot of the challenges in business uh, are the same and the creativity in business, which people don't recognise. Uh, the, the fact is that a lot of people confuse uh, artistry with creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, I do a thing in one of my talks where I ask people who's creative, after I show them my creative portfolio and no one puts their hand up uh, and I do it, you know, as a, not, not as a look at me, so to speak, but certainly to make a point. But then if I ask people, you know, who likes ideas or connecting people or things or coming up with, you know, strategies and problem solving, then everyone puts their hand up. And, you know, my point is that is creativity. Right. Uh, creative, creativity comes in all different forms. And I suppose one of my philosophies is, though, that if people can reconnect with, uh, uh, you know, their creative essence or their creative origin, whatever that might be, that thing they discarded at some time from puberty onward, then it's, it's possible to experience a creative process in a safe place and understand uh, the fear and anxiety that comes with it because it's part and parcel of it and then apply this creativity or creative thinking to business um, where the stakes are higher. You know, it's, it's easy to, you know, flip up a little watercolour that's shit and don't show anyone. But if you, you know, put your hand up in a meeting and make some stupid comment, you know, then the risks are higher or make a decision. So, mm-hmm. so it's really about, you know, opening people's minds or, you know, giving them insight into what creativity is really about and showing them how they can, you know, tap into their own creativity and apply it to whatever they choose, whether that is artistry or, or business or, or their personal lives. Okay, so... Um... Uh, before we sort of get into that, let's uh, talk a little bit about your uh, your career and, and leading to you, to where you are. Why don't you just take us back to you know where you were born and and uh, give us a sort of a quick overview of um, how creativity has been a big part of your life professionally and, and lead you to where you are today. Okay, look, I was born in Townsville. Uh, my parents, my mother was a stay-at-home mum but incredibly creative, always was a great piano player, tried to teach us all piano, none of us responded. Um, but she was incredibly creative with, you know, cake icing and craft and stuff. My father was uh, an engineer and he was city engineer in Townsville. He was a very pragmatic man, 
But I've, as I found out over the years, especially after his retirement, he had a very, very strong creative side as well, um, which is just as an aside, it's, uh, it sort of informed some of my thinking that I have now, which I call pragmativity. And it's this, this um, scale that we have between the pragmatic and the creative. And we all live somewhere on that scale. But no one ever lives at one end or the other. Maybe less, you know, if you're doing your bass, you might be uh, at the pragmatic end for a short period of time. Or if you're doing LSD on the other end, you might be at the highly creative end for a short period of time. <laughs> but anyway, that, that, that's the sort of foundation. So as a child, uh, I painted a lot. I was, you know, I, I was very supportive by my parents. But I also did a lot of um, acting and singing and stand-up comedy as a child. Uh, but an unfortunate um, event in my early teens where I was uh, told in the dress rehearsal of a school musical uh, to mime because I couldn't sing, uh, put pay to my, uh, my um, ambitions uh, to be on the stage. Now, I, I mentioned this in, in passing because it actually really is a critical part of me and it's a very critical part of what I'm now doing about, you know, about speaking and writing, about being heard. Um, I failed English at school uh, effectively, only managed to get through uh, uh, matriculation in English due to uh, a multimedia a project we did in our final year at school. Uh, but I'd always wanted to be uh, an architect for some reason. I didn't know any architects growing up, but I sort of figured as I learned a little bit more about it that it was a, some way between this engineering world, which I knew because of my father, my grandfather, and also my artistic side. And so I actually chose for my subjects, I chose, well, sorry, my, my subjects, but my first course selections was architecture followed by fine arts, followed by engineering. Mm -hmm. And I saw architecture as the, the, um, the middle of those, uh, those things, a great combination. There are some things I didn't understand about architecture, which um, we can discuss. But the thing that I, I suppose most that I realise now is that if we had the sort of career counselling that we currently have, uh, today with, you know, the kids in school, I think I probably ended up, would have ended up somewhere else. Um, in my day, the career counselling involved uh, a priest asking you wanted to join, whether you wanted to join the priesthood or not. And if you said no, then it was next. Uh, and, that, and that was about the, uh, uh, the total of creative, creative um, sorry, of uh, counselling that we have. So I, 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 we came to Brisbane when I was 12. My father became equivalent of a city engineer down here. I studied architecture. I have the record for the most number of years it took to get an architectural degree. Uh, I really floundered. It took me twice as long as normally. Uh, I floundered in the last four or five years, but I eventually did get past. And, and in, uh, in my early 30s, I started my first practice. In 96, uh, I merged that. Um, and we, uh, in a partnership, we grew a firm uh, over the next 20 years to about 50 people. Uh, Ten years ago, I uh, basically sold out of that practice to pursue other activities, which was really around this uh, creative thinking, um, mm. creative you know, processing. Now, in that 10 years, um, it didn't fly uh, as, as well as I would have liked it to, partly, I think, because I didn't really understand what I was doing uh, or what my message was. Or Actually, no, I knew what my message was. I just didn't have the balls to say it. Um, and over the last uh, couple of years, and I fell back into a small architectural practice, which I've really enjoyed and it's been, been great. I realized uh, about a bit over a year ago during a, um, a stand-up set 
that I was doing uh, that went very well. I went, you know what, I don't want to be, I want to be standing in front of people, uh, not only, you know, making them laugh, but also, you know, teaching them about creativity. And so it started me, you know, back on this journey uh, in earnest. And, uh, you know, and since then things have grown and I've really started to get traction because, you know, now I, I, I suppose I'm brave enough uh, to say what my, you know, what my passion is and what I'm good at. And I'm, you know, I'm very good at ideas. I'm a very creative person and I can, you know, I can, I believe I can help people. So my mission is to inform and educate people around creativity and inspire them to, to reconnect with their, you know, their creative essence. And I think uh, just to uh, loop back on something you said earlier, uh, you started, uh, uh, you were singing, if I remember correctly, you're having some singing lessons and you went back and you did some stand-up comedy classes and, you know, for a while you did some acting and you were on an episode of, I don't know, uh, one of these Aussie soaps. And so you you kind of, uh, uh, the disparaging comment that you got when you were a young kid, you've, uh, you've lent into the, uh, the uh, fear, I suppose, of doing those things and embraced it very strongly, haven't you? Look, I, I certainly have. And, um, and, and that's the other, you know, reason. And one of the messages that I have is, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reasonable painter and people say, well, it's easy for you. You just paint, you hang up stuff. Uh, but I've got to tell you, I'm a shit singer. And, um, and I, uh, the, the only thing that singing's really done for me is given me great material for my self-deprecating stories in my stand-up. but what's happened is that I know that feeling of putting something out there, whether it's a piece of art that I know is good or, you know, stepping up to the microphone in a, in a set or for comedy or singing, it's the same fear um, Mm. around that. And, and that fear, and I, I write and talk about that fear quite a lot, but it's just, I've just come to a realization. I've been looking for a word that better describes it. And the word that I've come, come upon is a word called frisson, F-R-I-S-S-O-N. And I suspect that there might be a better word somewhere either in our language or it's one of those things, you know, the Germans say, well, we have this word, you know, there's no word for it in English. Uh, it's a little bit like Douglas Adams. I've read his book, The Meaning of Lif, where he took a lo- whole lot of words for um, <clears throat> uh, uh, things that didn't have words for and, and um, double them up with strange sounding words of English towns and counties like uh, right. I think there's one called Strapoff or Stropoff which is um, the coolness of the reverse side of the pillow on your cheek uh, <laughs> so the, the word that I've that I've settled on at the moment is a word called Frisson F-R-I-S-S-O-N and it literally translates to thrill but you know some of the definitions talk about as being the centre between the, the emotion of fear and the emotion of excitement. Okay. And I know, as you know, in the work that you've done, you know, fear and excitement are basically the same emotion that come out different, differently. And the, the reality is that what happens that when we push that button to publish or, you know, we agree to do a podcast or we, um, you know, hang a painting or sing a song or strum a chord, you know, step up to the mic, uh, that's the moment of friction you know, it's this mixture of fear and excitement. And at that moment, your relationship with your creative enterprise, and I must say it also, you know, putting your hand up in a meeting or, you know, making a suggestion at work, 
at that moment, it changed your relationship with this creative focus because what happens is it's now out in, in the world, it's out in public mm. and you have no or little control over what response that you will get, whether mm. that response is a positive or negative. I say you have some control because, you know, it depends on what you pick your market or how you put it out or whether you're prepared an audience or whatever it might be. But what happens then is you need to then, um, you know, dig into a, a very deep uh, level of self-belief. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, blind self-belief, and I've had some of that and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But what happens is because you don't know what the response is, you have to deeply believe in, in what you're doing and not be turned off by the fact that you get a negative comment or, you know, worse still, you know, no comment at all, you know, that you're not even, uh, no one's listening to you. Um, that's a very long answer uh, to that question, Richard. But yes, I've done some singing in stand-up. Uh, and, well, that's uh, fine. Let's, let's keep this conversation very uh, sort of loose and see uh, how, how we uh, navigate this uh, very sort of broad and interesting to topic. One of the things you mentioned earlier, which uh, I just bring it back around to is, you were talking about how people discard their creativity at puberty. So, um, so what do you mean by that? Well, what, what happens, uh, and, you know, this is, you know, by, by my learnings rather than, you know, my own insight, is that when we reach puberty, with the hormones and things, there's a couple of different things that happen. But primarily what happens is we changed uh, the view of how we show up in the world and you know it's around self-awareness and you know yourself which, which with young kids if they're 11 below you know they really you know they don't really care you know what they do what people think you know they just show up but as we reach puberty and go through puberty we have this self-awareness about how we show up in the world and so you know the, the best example you know an easy example is a lady uh, Betty Edwards who wrote a book called Drawing on the Right Hand Side of the Brain which is a fantastic book for anyone who wants to learn how to draw. She says that what happens for kids with their drawing, there's a sense of, you know, heightened sense of reality. So, you know, kids want to draw and be able to make it almost photographic. Um, and if they can't, you know, they judge it as bad. So before that point, there was no judgment, you know, uh, art, you know, was not subjective, but it becomes subjective. So that's the first thing that sort of happens and it either becomes, you know, a self-criticism uh, from feedback from the world of comparison to other people, or it comes from uh, either a lack of support or, or a negative feedback from, from parents and peers uh, and teachers. In particularly in today's you know, education system, you know, whilst, you know, all the schools, you know, have balanced curriculum that include culture and sport as well as academic achievement, the arts really do play a second fiddle. So, it's not given the same weight. So, you know, unless you're, you know, a talented, you know, musician or a talent, unless you've got a real talent in that sort of top 1%, mm. you're not really given encouragement opportunity. So we tend to have this, you know, uh, self-awareness around it and we tend to put it away. My experience, I was lucky, my visual art, you know, I had, a, I had some talent and it was encouraged, but my, you know, my other, you know, performing side was very much um, shut down and it was shut down for me for, you know, close to 40 years before I finally had the courage to, um, you know, to, to readdress it. And for me, you know, I think for everybody, 
you know, at that time and art for, for us, or any sort of art form is a way of us being seen and heard in the world. You know, it's a form of expression and whether that's by music or writing or art or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, along with, you know, academic and what we do, all those things are very important. So when it's shut down, I believe we, we lose a part of ourselves. Um, and I think it's very important for people to, um, to reconnect with it. And so uh, with your work that you're now doing, uh, bringing a greater awareness and uh, motivation to use creativity in business, how the people that you're working with largely uh, you're helping them to re uh, explore, open those creative channels that they've shut down in the past and, and start to use them more, what more proactively. Correct. Um, and so, and the way that I do that, um, I do it, uh, you know, and, and this is something that sort of has been unfolding for me, which has been, you know, incredibly satisfying and rewarding. Um, you know, some clients I've sat down and said, right, I'm going to get you to paint a bowl of lemons now. And they just look at me and they say, I haven't picked up a brace bunch since I was six. And we go through a process because I've actually developed a technique where I can, I can pretty well get anyone to draw, you know, a, a, a passable bowl of lemons uh, in watercolour that they'd be proud of, mm-hmm. uh, proud enough to show anyone. Uh, and that for them, and I have one client who's a financial planner who every time I see him, he's like reading my script back. He's going, oh my God, you know, and this guy's incredibly successful. He's built numerous businesses and sold them at profits. Uh, nothing's really scared him, but he's gone, oh my God, you've actually shown me uh, how, you know, not to be afraid of certain things and give me great courage. Another client who I was working with and we had a sort of a different context, I didn't really say much to him at all. Um, but over the last year, I've started, I've started running and I run between 5 and 10K a day and I do these daily watercolours. So unbeknownst to me, he started running um, and he started doing watercolours and he started sending me watercolours. And it was just, it's just unbelievable, you know. And, you know, whilst we started working on his business, you know, over, over the weeks and months, it transformed into really about how he shows up in his world. And he owned this business, about 15 to 20 people. And he loved COVID because it got him out of the office and he hated it after COVID having to go back to his office mm-hmm. or after COVID in, in, our, in our patch anyway. And now he, he's basically reclaimed a, 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 an office, which was a, an old library on a mezzanine. He's moved himself up there with a couch, you know, it's become his den. Uh, and he's just being who he wants to be and he is absolutely loving it. And, you know, and it's about how he's showing up at work. He doesn't have everyone, you know, doing watercolours and not everyone's running. But I can clearly see him in him that he's reconnected with a creative essence that he has seen as a window in how to apply that to his business. Because he was the proverbial um, dog being wagged by the tail, uh, the sort of work he was doing in his business he hated, uh, yet it was his business and I just, I was flabbergasted. And so we worked on some of the stuff to fix some of his business, but really in the end, it was just about him. 
and mm. how he how he would reconnect with his inner creativity. Mm. Okay, so it's interesting timing because my last podcast guest was our good friend Colin Clark, right? <laughs> right. And uh, and so uh, uh, now that's a that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> but, but partially because I've been with Colin for years, I can hardly follow what he says. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I'm, what I'd be interested in is. Uh, how is this? How is this unfolded for you, and then to lead you to this space where you're essentially being of service through the what you're bringing to these people, and then talk us through, you know, without breaching any confidences, obviously, um, you know, why somebody may have originally engaged with you, like what did they perceive to be their problem that needed to be solved. Because I'm sure they don't come to you and say, "Hey, Paul, I'd love you to teach me how to draw a bowl of lemons," right? So, so they they do now, right? <laughs> uh, well, so so you know how how has this kind of uh, over the last few years? Because you you said, "Okay, I finally reached a point where I can speak my truth and I know my mission," and it's really been the last couple of years that I've really you know embraced. Uh, embrace this. So just just give us a little bit more insight into what you mean by all of that. Right. That was a very complex question. We've got, uh, plenty, of, we've got plenty of time, Paul. <laughs> uh, how, how, did, how did it evolve? Um, well, I, I think it evolved for, you know, me, you know, in, in two ways. Obviously, you know, it started with, you know, it was all about me. You know, it was it was really about what what I was doing in my own life that that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. Um, so you know, I found myself in a profession, you know, that I was what I was good at, uh, but I wasn't great at. I was never going to be, you know, uh, an architectural genius. And and one of the challenges that I had around architecture was the time frame. You know me, Richard, you know me for a long time. You know, I'm an ideas person, you know, with, with or without coffee or alcohol. Uh, and so, you know, and I do have a propensity to, you know, go from one thing to another. And that's what I love about the watercolours. You know, they're so accessible. I can express something and then book, go to the next one. Architecture, you know, has an enormous time frame, even for the smallest project, is always almost a minimum of a year from start to finish. And most projects, you know, it's three to five years. I found that very difficult. Um, so I found myself in a position where I was, you know, doing stuff that supported the family. Um, I was at times, you know, being very creative on the side. And, you know, up until, you know, 15 years ago, I was, uh, you know, quite a serious artist. But still, you know, most of my time was focused in a, in a business that really wasn't, you know, doing it for me. And so it was for me really to, to find my own voice and to speak my own truth. So that's where it started. But as I've sort of gone on and, and developed and, you know, as these things, you know, developed and I, and I don't have the, uh, either the insight or the uh, benefit of Colin's whole career and thinking of this stuff, you know, where he's, you know, he, he's built a very, you know, strong philosophy, but it came very clear to me very quickly that, you know, we get, you know, trapped in a, in a paradigm often, often of our own making. This is not really what we want to do, you know, where the, where the frog being boiled in the, in, the, in the big tub, you know, it's just getting warmer and warmer. We don't really know what's going on. You use and, uh, Colin's language, 
being driven versus being drawn. Yeah, being, yes, exactly. Um, and I, I think that it's, it's, it's really, you know, for me, you know, the awakening, you know, came about uh, with this sort of layering of where I put, you know, my energies. And, you know, I, I, talk, about, I talk about life work imbalance rather than life work balance. Sorry, yeah, because work-life balance is out of balance before you start because it puts work first. Mm. And reality is that, you know, the whole idea of life work is, you know, it's a life work as a body of work and what, what we do. For me, you know, the awakening is that it's an apportionment of energies to, to business, to family, to exercise, you know, to healthy diet and to creativity. And all those energies are the same energies. But if you leave one out, it's sort of like, you know, well, there's only five, I think. I don't know, there's not many five cylinder cars. But if a cylinder is not firing properly, then you're not going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to miss, you know, it's not going to run well. So for me, it's really about making sure each one of those cylinders is firing properly. Um, and so, 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 so my, my driving force is to really, you know, show people that there's, there's more, uh, you know, there's more out there. There's more opportunities out there. And it's not to say, well, I don't want to do what I'm doing in terms of business. A lot of it is just a, a reinvention, reinvention in place, you know, to go, oh, yeah, okay. You know, maybe I need to have a creative hobby, hobby or maybe I need to understand creativity better so I can apply creativity to my work uh, or just even appreciate that what I'm doing is already creative, you know, so they don't have those conversations that say, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. You know, I had one client who was head of a large firm. He had multiple businesses and a winery and sitting there with a, a bright orange jacket and a pink tie, looked me in the eye and said, I don't have a creative body, bone in my body. And I went, wow. <laughs> you know? And when I explained to him, he went, oh, yeah, okay, well, maybe I am creative, you know, possibly, you know. So I don't know if that's answered the question. It was a very long question. Unusual for me to give a shorter answer than the, than the length of the question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, all right. So somebody is referred to you or they come to you. I mean, again, uh, I don't imagine that their initial sort of question is, oh, Paul, you know, I want you to teach me how to draw a bowl of lemons, right? So, so what's, what, um, Generally, how is somebody showing up? Look, uh, one of the ways that I, um, I suppose, you know, create, make this bridge for people when I'm, you know, talking, so come on, you know, and chat to me. Uh, I sort of have three tiers in what I do is around creative leadership, um, creative uh, presentation or creative storytelling and uh, creative expression. Mm-hmm. all for business, you know, so creative leadership for business. And all those are, you know, either for self, so self-leadership or, you know, leadership of a team or a business. So when people first come to me, uh, I, I, I explain to them, I suppose, the parallels or the overlaps between creativity and leadership. So, you know, the best understanding that I've come to around leadership is there's three main jobs of a leader. One is to take, you know, people, you know, themselves or a team from confusion to clarity. The second is to take them from fear to confidence. And the last is to take them from a problem to build a vision for a better future. 
So that's as I see, you know, the three main, um, you know, jobs of a leader today. Now, that bottom line, you know, is a triple bottom line because those things of, of a problem or a challenge, clarity uh, and, um, or sorry, confusion and, and fear um, are, are what is part and parcel for creativity. Um, I spoke earlier about friction and, and creativity, but that's part and parcel of where a creative lives. Um, you, know, you probably know yourself, you know, you get an idea and then you, you know, immediately have this, you know, negative self-talk of, oh, shit, that's never going to fly or, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's part of that tension I spoke earlier about the creativity irons. So that's where a creative lives. And if you're going to have creative leadership, you have to hold yourself in that space of confusion and, and fear for longer to be able to look for opportunities. Yet you, at the same time, you've got to, you know, lead your team to that confidence and clarity. So that's how, how we start the conversation. I, I say it's a triple bottom line because that whole thing of fear and confusion and a challenge is also where, you know, the whole world is currently living, living in, in, a, in a COVID-19 world. So, you know, it seems to be very topical. And when I, you know, run through that discussion, you know, invariably, you know, there's no one that goes, oh, yeah, should I need all those? But there's also always one of those things that says, you know, to someone or my team or I, yeah, I, I need to see how to, you know, to create a better vision um, for, the, for the future or, you know, I, I need to show how to show clarity or, you know, I need how, how to build confidence. And then, you know, in the work that I do with people, I, you know, un, unpack that through creative enterprise uh, exercises. So the one about uh, the, the, the vision for a better future is a drawing exercise. The one about confidence is, is a, when life gives you lemon and lemons, it's a, you know, it's a painting exercise to say, okay, does this scare you? You know, if it doesn't scare them, I'll take them up to another level. Well, let's go some, have some singing lessons or let's go do some stand up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in the comment that you made about how a leader needs to be able to sit in this space of fear, confusion and challenge for longer. Um, because that seems almost counterintuitive to, you know, the leader has got to, you know, pick a strategy and, and let's, let's rock and roll. Let's, let's drive our goals towards achieving strategy. Whereas you're, at least if I understand what you said correctly, and, and you know, I'm keen for you to clarify, it's more a case of they need to be comfortable sitting in a space of uncertainty. Yeah. So, my context is creative leadership, so it's not just leadership. Mm -hmm. And for someone to be a creative leader uh, and to, you know, um, to not just go, right, you know, here's a solution, you know, an A-type, you know, you know, military-style thing of, like, this is where we're going, you know, I've made the decision, you know, which is, which is I think is, that, you know, is, a, is an old A-type, A-type leadership, you know, trust him because he's a leader, he knows best. I think in this day and age, we need a different sort of leadership. We need a leadership that, uh, you know, has a longer period of divergent thinking before we get to convergent thinking. I think the old sort of leadership was very much, well, you go ask the boss and he says, do this, and it's convergent thinking. You know, it's, it's coming down to a, to a point and we're going to go this way. But I think that the problems that we face in the world today and in, 
in business, we need, we need a broader scope. We need to be more curious, uh, you know, with regards to our, our challenges first. Uh, and therefore, if you're going to be in that space, you need more time. Uh, and you can certainly be in that space for, with a team. But what I do is I work with leadership teams so that they have, you know, a dialogue and language where they can talk amongst themselves and admit that they're confused or that they're, you know, facing a challenge, you know, without having to, you know, be the chest beating, you know, executive that sit around and go, we're going to do this. Uh, so they can actually show a bit of confidence, you know, when needed or clarity when needed, you know, to, to bat their team along. But I believe that if you're going to uh, get the best out of a team of people, you know, you need to allow them room to explore and to be curious um, while still being confident that you're going to get to an, an end, an end, um, end goal. And that's the thing about creativity and that's the fear. Like I know that every time I start a large canvas, I'm anxious about where it's going to go. But in the back of my mind, I know that I'm probably going to get there with something I'm pretty happy with. Um, but I don't know when I start, you know, I don't necessarily have it in my mind's eye. I suppose it also comes from, uh, you know, my, my design background. Um, unfortunately, in today's, you know, design industry and, and um, in architecture particularly, you know, time is short. And so there's enormous pressures on the design process to do stuff quickly. And it's that whole thing, if you can't make think, people think harder. And so design is an iterative process. And it's, it's been shown by some recent studies that the most creative architectural practices are the ones that iterate for the longest. Um, but this comes back a little bit to my idea of pragmativity because there is a limit. You know, mm. I've had people that work for me that just iterate to death uh, and, and they never get stuff done. And some large architectural practices, which very successful creative, creatively, they never stopped and in the stopped iterating and in the, uh, it, in the, um, contractual arrangements that we currently have where we get novated to contractors, it does doesn't work and it leads to enormous amounts of delays and cost overruns and often lawsuits. So there's got to be a limit, you know, you've still got to set boundaries and say, we're going to, we're going to iterate for this long, but it's about sort of realizing that in order to get, you know, a creative outcome, which is really about having, you know, a new or different idea that you need time and space to allow that to happen. Mm. Um, but still showing confidence that, okay, we're going to get there, but I don't know what the answer is, you know? So it's, uh, I don't know, it's an analogy of, you know, orienteering, you know, with, a, with an expert orienteerer. You know, you're not following a path, but you know that you're going to get to where you're going to get to. You know there's going to be challenges and, you know, you got to back up or you might hit a cliff or go around a hill or whatever it might be or cross a river. So it's that, that, that sort of leadership. <clears throat> but it's about leaders understanding that's their job or that's where it comes from without saying, oh, well, I know what to be a leader and it's I thump the table and say, we're going to do this and go and do it, you know, which I think is an old paradigm of leadership. Why are you getting a glass of water? Because <laughs> you're sounding as though you're getting a bit hoarse. So uh, um, these people are coming to you because they are, they've hit a, a plateau in their business or... They've, they've hit a crisis point or, you know, what's um, motivating them to engage what is probably quite a different 
uh, process and perhaps, you know, a more traditional, you know, go and get a management consultant to come in and fix your business for you? Look, I think it's, it's those two things that you mentioned, uh, but it's also <clears throat> very much uh, just exactly what you said, it, the thing they're looking for something different. You know, it's <clears throat> back to that Einstein thing of, you know, you can't, can't solve the problem with uh, using the same thinking that got you in the mess in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so people are going, oh, yeah, okay, there's, there's a way of approaching this, you know, differently. One of the things that is at first was an unintentional consequences of the process and the masterclasses that I run. And because of, you know, there's a certain level of vulnerability in there. It's connecting people very deeply, you know, amongst themselves. I had one recently where this group of you know, leadership must have been there about 10 years and the founder was there and he went, Oh my God, he said, you know, in the last half hour, I've heard things I've never heard before. And to be honest, I've just shared something that I've never shared in this business in the 30 years that I've been in this business. And that comes from this, you know, like creative thinking. So, but to answer the question, it's that I I think that people either realize by their own volition or realize when I tell them, that uh, there are other opportunities out there that, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we we need to do a different thing. And I think when I, you know, especially, you know, coming out of the first round of COVID, you know, people were just saying to me, yeah, we're just looking for how to think differently. You know, that's mm-hmm. what we're looking for. It's a primary, primary thing that we want. So, so that's why, you know, the old style, you know, business management consultant, you know, who's going to roll out the same old things, you know, might spark the conversation. And those guys, you know, are very good. And, you know, a lot of the processes are great. But my thing is really saying, well, you know, let's, let's look at it from a, a totally different perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, from our conversation prior to hitting record, uh, you're also starting to uh, put some attention on working with men specifically in the second half of their life. I assume that that means once they hit a certain age milestone, is that correct? Well, yeah, it's a self-determined milestone. I say it's halfway or beyond. Uh, <laughs> let anyone decide where that, that might be uh, and whether that includes, you know, uh, active, active <laughs> participation or not. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I have, and this, this program is directed uh, at men, uh, for men, but it's also equally directed at women because it's about fixing their men uh, in their life. Uh, and so when I speak about it with mixed groups, it's actually uh, you know, the wives uh, and the daughters that come up to me and say, here's my husband's email address. I think he needs your program. <laughs> and here's his credit card. <laughs> Oh, not so, yet, but uh, I, must get, I must get that machine out. Um, what is it that's broken about men in the second half of their lives, do you think? Well, what it is, I call it rough-hewn men. Uh, it's, there's four parts to it. It's about um, well-meaning, creative men. Uh, so it's about wellness. Uh, it's about finding meaning. And, and that's through uh, a reconnecting, connecting with creativity. And it's, you know, about being, about being men. 
I think what happens is that, you know, we, we, we've ended up um, with a role that we've sort of inherited from our forebears and our fathers and our grandfathers, but it's a different world, you know. No longer is it, you know, you get the career for 35 years and you get the gold watch and a, a pension or retirement package and you go and play golf, you know. Now it's very different, you know. Over the last couple of years, you know, women have had a... Uh, a much needed awakening and shift and, and attention to where they're at, you know, and they're off, you know, forging new grounds. And, the, you know, the poor old blokes are sitting back and go, oh, you know, what about me? Because in some way we've been left behind because we've been left with an old paradigm that doesn't work anymore. Uh, and, and they haven't questioned. Um, my, my father is, a, is an example. Um, as I said, he was an engineer. And when he retired, he took up, painting and he started painting in watercolors and he was very very naive incredibly naive and so the great pleasure of saying dad i think you'd be better at oils you know so i gave him some oil lessons and then naive in what respect uh naive in his uh, uh, naive art is a is a sort of childish style of art okay. uh, and and he was you know he had a naive um technique uh, okay. and he was using watercolors like poster paints rather than watercolours. So he didn't understand how watercolours are like a wash and how you use them because he just thought it was paint, you know? Right. And so I introduced him to oils and it really resonated with him. And we had the great privilege of uh, having a show together. Um, as it turns out, my father's name is Ian Fairweather uh, and he had a big white beard. And Ian Fairweather with a big white beard was a famous crazy Scottish artist from Bribey Island who my father had met. And throughout my career, I'd often have people ask me whether I was related to Ian Fairweather. Because I was an architect and my father was an engineer, half the time they were talking about my father and the other time, half the time they were talking about my, the Ian Fairweather. Yeah. So when he, took, when he took up painting in his 60s, it became very complex because, <laughs> I'm a, as you know, Rich, I'm a very literal person. And I like to explain myself. So when people would ask me and i tell them this big, long story, in the end, I got sick of it and people would say, are you related to Ian Fairweather? And I'd say, yes. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, my father, you know, when he first retired, uh, he, he was a chief engineer manager of works, chief engineer and manager at works in the Brisbane City Council. And he was in charge of three and a half thousand people. Um, so he retired, well, he sort of retired, but he, he basically went into a sort of private practice. But, you know, he, he was... It was very piecemeal work that he was doing. And so he'd gone from a corporation of three and a half thousand people to a corporation of two, him and mum. Mm. And so all of a sudden, you know, uh, mum was in a situation where for her whole life she'd been self-employed and all of a sudden she found that she had a new CEO and she wasn't really happy about the, uh, the uh, executive structure. Um, <laughs> So it created some tensions uh, and it's created some tensions in my, between my parents that I'd never, never witnessed before. And so my father, you know, found this outlet and, and for, you know, a lot of ways, you know, it was a, you know, I suppose this was the start of my own awakening. Um, when, when I started this journey, you know, 12 years ago about, you know, pursuing this, uh, as I said earlier, I, I didn't quite know how to go about it. It was in the middle of the GFC, which didn't help. 
but really I just didn't have the balls to go, look, you know, I'm really good at ideas. You know, I'm really good at ideas. I'm a very creative person. I can help you. But over the last couple of years, it's been for me this understanding that these things of wellness, you know, meaning creativity and being a man are really uh, so strongly linked and, and there's such strong overlap in it. And it wasn't for me over until uh, two years ago when I had a, a minor, um, non-life-threatening, but, but, you know, ultimately uh, not a good diagnosis, which was simply a, uh, an elevated blood glucose level. And my GP said, Paul, if you don't lose 10 kilos in six months, you could be classified as a diabetic. Mm. And that was absolutely shocking to me. Um, so I basically went on a mission uh, to get fit and I, I lost about 15 kilos over a period of nine months and I've kept up, you know, a strong exercise routine ever since my weight's fluctuated a little. Um, but it was really also when nine months ago I started doing a daily watercolor, which I have have until recently been posting on uh, Instagram that this daily creative habit with a daily, you know, physical habit, you know, spending attention to my family and my business, it's really started to gel for me. Uh, and and the, real, the real surprise is for me, as I said earlier, I failed English at school. I was always told, you know, I, I couldn't write. I was a bad writer. And I started writing and it's really linked to my visual art. So I often do a, a, a little painting and then start writing about it or start writing and then grab an image and drop it in and start writing. And for me, it's sort of opened up this whole thing for me of a new way to communicate. And I believe that we all have these uh, connections that we need to make in our, you know, in our inner spirit around our, where we put our energies. Um, and I think for men, uh, it's particularly important. You know, it is a softer side of men that, you know, we, we don't seem to access. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a self-help thing. It's, you know, I suppose it's for better, it's a program, but it's really about just getting men to go, yeah, what is it I want to do? You know, what is my life work I want for the second half of my life? You know, what's my legacy? You know, what are the things I really want to do? You know, what are the things I left behind? Uh, you know, how do I want to show up in the world? Um, and so I, I don't know if uh, that explains it, but that's, that's the essence of what it's about. And it's based on, it's men because I know what I've been through over the last 12 years, but particularly over the last two or three years, and I understand it and I understand, you know, how it's changed me. And, I, and I'd like to be able to, you know, inspire others to, you know, uh, start off down this path. So, um, you know, there certainly was a, uh, an expectation that, uh, being a man or being a business person, let's forget male or female, being a business person necessitated working very long hours and working really hard and, you know, the daily grind of setting goals and budgets and KPIs and da 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 and, um, and often, uh, as Colin says, you know, people climb the corporate ladder only to realise that it's been leaning against the wrong building, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, certainly the work that I do with my champions forums and talking to very senior executives, men and women, 
uh, corporate executives, business owners, not executive directors and so on, is that they get to a point and they say, wow, I you know, always thought that when I, I got here, I would be fulfilled. And now that I'm here, I realise that I'm quite underwhelmed. I hate my job. My kids hate my guts and, you know, my health is suffering. So how does the unleashing of a creative aspect of somebody's life uh what do you see that as being the catalyst to enable okay so the creative process you know broken down very simply is about creating something new okay and of course there's no new ideas you know that's about putting two disparate things together to create something different but in someone's life or the creative process, if you're creating, you know, if you're writing a song, um, you know, writing a poem, writing a story, you know, you're taking notes and words and you're putting them, letters, and you're putting them into a pattern that hasn't been done before, you know, not even the infinite number of monkeys on an infinite number of typewriters, you know. Writing to, Shakespeare. Uh, writing the full works of Shakespeare or the Bible. Um, that, that, that it's new in the world, okay? So in terms of, and, and again, you know, going back to, you know, very early in our discussion, people that have a, uh, you know, a confusion or don't understand, well, they think that creativity is also about artistry. They go, well, I don't have, I don't have this creative bone in my body. If you understand that, you know, everyone, you know, is, is, is creative being everyone can create something if you if we just look at it in terms of an artistry sense um you know everyone can do a painting not everyone can necessarily do a good painting uh you know it's very subjective but everyone can you know get a brush stick it in a pot of paint you know put it on a bit of paper that's a painting subjectively it might be a crap painting some people might love it you know if it's a five-year-old, then you're going to love it if it's your you know, son or daughter. Um, but it's, children don't think about it. They just do it. But as adults, it's like, oh, okay, I made that. I did that. I didn't think I was creative, but I could do that. You know, my client, the financial planner with his bowl of lemons, holy shit, you know, he went home and posted on Facebook. Look what I did. Okay. Mm. So that's the awakening or that's the wall that can then transpire to oh, I can create whatever I want in my life or in my business. Right. So I'm starting to get this now. It's taken me nearly an hour. But uh, so it's really <laughs> about the idea of uh, being able to create some, something new that didn't exist before rather than replicating or copying something. Correct. So that's, that's, right. that's, that's the essence of it. And as it applies to life and business... It's about creating what you really want to create, you know, not what you created when you were being unconscious or, you know, just what happened and things thing and you, and you made decisions without thinking of them. And it's back to my other client who started Watercolours of His Own Volition. You're going, hang on, I've created this thing, you know, just the way I thought I wanted it, but I hate it. So... He then went, okay, how do I recreate how I show up in my own business so I love it? 
you know? So it becomes my passion again because he loves the, the, the business that he's in. He's, he loves the work, you know, he, he, he loves it. But he hated his own role because he just allowed himself to be moulded by this external circumstances, some of his own making. So it is about the ability, and maybe we need to put this bit in the first, you have to recut this, Richard, and put this at the beginning so people understand. <laughs> they can make it a short five-minute one. But, you know, that people understand that, okay, yeah, I have the power uh, to create what I want to create. And that power is not just in the example of doing the lemons, but it's also about, okay, that comes with a fear, you know, because I say, oh, shit, how, how can I possibly do that in business or do that? It's just like, well, I can. Mm. Because, you know, we have a creative essence. You know, we are, you know, by our very nature, you know, our bodies are constantly recreating themselves. You know, we come from two bits that get put together, uh, that, you know, start creating us and then we start dividing, you know, mm. it's, it's our, it's our, it's our real essence. And I just think people have been cut off from it. It's been cut off from uh, both the experience and the understanding of what it is. Um, and I've had a, a very creative life you know, in, in many different aspects of my life, but in many, many times I've found myself in situations where I haven't been happy or content because I've, found myself in situations of my own making that I don't like. And then over the last particularly three years, I've been going, hang on, what the hell am I doing? You know, I can create the life that I really want, you know? And I think because I've hit that milestone of 60, it's probably a little bit over halfway <laughs> that uh, I've just gone, stop stuffing around you know, just create what it is that, that, I, that, that I want to do, you know, uh, which comes back to my thing of, you know, creating images, writing and speaking about creativity, which is in the, in, the, in the end all I really know and it's what I'm ultimately passionate, passionate about. There's a, yeah, there's a few things in there. So I, I talk about this from the perspective of being a victim versus being a creator. So I, would, I have a preferred reality. However, I'm unable to have that preferred reality because of circumstances outside of my control that dictate my current reality. So using your example of the guy, you know, he's in a business, but he's not enjoying it because the, he has become, you know, a slave to the condition of the business, Right. And, and I think the first thing in order to truly be a creator is to accept responsibility that I have actually created my current reality. It's nobody's fault other than my own, right? But once I accept responsibility for my current reality, then that also gives me the ability then to create what I would prefer. You know, what is the life that I would love to lead? Um, Correct. Yeah. And then the next thing that sort of came out of that for me was, I mean, whereas you say you're a crap singer, I'm definitely a crap artist, right? And so I might say to myself, well, okay, cool. I want to create this watercolour that I'm proud of and I put it up on uh, Instagram, not that I'm on Instagram, but, uh, you know, I'm pr I hang it on my wall. Um, but if my desire to be creative exceeds my competency, then aren't I going to be left feeling despondent and disillusioned 
<laughs> because no matter how much I want to create a beautiful watercolour of a bowl of lemons, um, what I produce is, you know, your tea is always crap. Well, now, Richard, if we're going to unpack all your stuff, we're going to need at least another hour. <laughs> how, many, how many sessions do we have, Richard? <laughs> uh, look, it's a good point, and, and, and it's a valid point to a degree, okay? Because it's not about, it's about the creative process, okay? What it's about is about you going, okay, I'm happy to put paint to paper, uh, as part of a process, because I said to you, Richard, go do you go do a colour, you go. I can't paint, so well, let me show you how. And I, I am I am pretty confident that I can show uh, without touching their paper anybody to create a half decent passable bowl of lemons. Right. Now you know maybe I'm undercutting my um, you know the value of my own art, you know, by showing people. But um, it's, you know, and to follow your thing, it's about some sort of creative pursuit or trial. Now, you know, watercolours is one of many, you know. You happen to be a good singer uh, and guitar player, and that's your level of expression. So you don't really need to paint a bottle of lemons. But the next time we get together you will be mm. <laughs> um, just to test my theory uh, to see how it goes. But the same thing goes for my, you know, my singing lessons and look, it's a long story. Um, if you want to hear about it, you can tune into my next episode of the creative common, my own podcast, which will be released this Friday, which tells a whole sad story of my singing, um, my, my singing and as I said, it, it probably gives me more uh, material for my stand-up than it does uh, pleasure. But there, there is something about the process of... And my singing teacher, I remember saying to her, her saying to me, look, unless you're clinically deaf, everyone can learn to sing. Mm. And again, it's subjective. Um, I do suspect that, you know, she was both a very good singer, singing teacher and a liar uh, because she was telling me that I could sing. And I look back at the tapes over eight years, I realised at the beginning I couldn't sing, but that didn't stop me singing in solo in public. <laughs> so I was very much like Florence, you know, that high society woman um, that was, you know, singing to her friends and no one had the guts to tell her. Everyone told me I couldn't sing, but I didn't listen. Right. So, uh, But it's about the process. You know, it's about actually facing the blank page and going this is this is just an experiment you know i'm not you know i'm not looking to become a professional artist i want to actually understand what this creative process means in a safe environment um, to show you that how you can start to unlock that and connect with your creative essence so that you can apply that to all aspects of your life and business so you get out of that drama triangle of persecutor, victim and rescuer and you go into the paradigm of I can create, I do create the whole of my own reality. Mm. And that's what we do. But we often, and I have many times forgotten that or not believed that. Um, it doesn't mean 
if, you know, this is where it gets sort of metaphysical. It doesn't mean it's all going to end up the way that you want it to end up because it's not, but it's how you show up in your own reality, you know, and it's how you go through the process. I, I don't know if you've ever read the book um, Chasing Daylight. It was a guy, he was head of one of the big three accounting firms in the States. I think he might've been the worldwide president. And he was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumour and given six months to live. Mm-hmm. He's going to suffer no pain, but he knew that his time was coming to the end when he started losing sight. And that's why he called the book Chasing Daylight. And he wrote a book in that six months about mm-hmm. the process. And there's a couple of things I learned from that book. But the, the major lesson that he imparts was that for him, a good day wasn't when things went the way he expected them to, but when he accepted the way they turned out. Because in his professional career, he never, ever had to deal with any turkeys. He had never had to deal with anybody who wasn't at the top of their profession, game, politics, whatever. You know, his, his, his diary ran smooth to clockwork. His life was everything turned out the way that he wanted it to turn out or he expected mm-hmm. it to turn out. When he was sick and he had to catch the bus downtown and, you know, go to the clinic with, you know, all the other people and the machine wasn't broken, he had to wait two hours. Nothing worked out the way that he wanted it to work out. And he realised pretty quickly that if he was going to be happy, he, his happiest days was he accepted the way it turned out. And that's, I think, a part of our, the, 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 the creation of our own reality is an acceptance. And it's acceptance of, of our abilities, you know, you know, you're a better singer than I. Who gives a shit? I can paint a bowl of lemons better than you. Who cares? You know, if you have enjoyment paying a bowl of lemons, even if I think it's crap, who cares? Mm. And it's back to that thing of friction, you know? It's about having the courage to push the button, you know, to do it and show me, and then allowing for whatever it is that happens after that. To go, mm. well, that's okay. I've got self-belief, and I, I, I believe that what I've done has been good for me. It's good for my, for my process. Mm. Well, you know, going back to what you were just talking about, I mean, this is what Buddha was talking about two and a half thousand years ago, right? Life is suffering and suffering is because we have, uh, we have attraction and aversion. There are things that we want because they, we enjoy them and there are things that we don't want because we don't enjoy them. And through this delusion of thinking that we must only get what we want and try and avoid what we don't want, that we suffer enlightenment comes when you become a benign or a detached witness and so talking about you know the chasing daylight guy uh he came to a place well i haven't read the book but uh it sounds like he came to a place where he realized that not happiness but perhaps um contentment came from just being at peace with whatever arose yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's a very strong message. The book was interesting also, and I think he, you know, he, he gave a, a message of, I believe, not what, not what not to do. You know, he knew so many people. And so he basically drew up spheres of influence. And the people on the outside were people that, you know, he didn't know, you know, very well, that he felt he should tell them. So he started on those and worked his way in to his closest confidence being his family. Now, he did sort of connect with his family along the way. You know, they weren't sort of, you know, totally left to the end. But it appears that he sort of ran out of time. And in my view, 
you know, he should have started in the middle and worked his way out. You mean in, in, in terms of sharing his lessons? No, no, in terms of connecting with people, you know, so as he got closer and closer, some people he'd have a coffee with, you know, to say goodbye, you know, to right. just to, you know, reconnect, disconnect. Then some people he'd have some dinners and lunches with, you know, to his family. You know, mm. I think he should have inverted it and went, right, I'm starting with my family. Mm. And if I get to the outer circle of people to let them know, then so be it. But if not, well, then too bad, you know. But yeah. I, I, I felt that he, you know, I, I thought it was a very interesting lesson, uh, but not from one that he, he chose, but, you know, like a lesson from what he, he didn't do in effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and I had a, I had a conversation with uh, a woman whose husband was given a do- uh, you had MM and D, uh, and and he set up a foundation. And I actually knew him when he was six, and I was dating his sister when I was fifteen. And I reconnected him with his wife, and they had two young children. And I encouraged her to read this book to say to her, "Look, you know, it's great that you're doing all this stuff externally, you know, but here mm. you're both out. You know, your kids are, you know, with other people, you know. And as it turned, he he died quite suddenly because mm. he tripped and." fell over and I just wonder, you know, whether, you know, that, that lesson, you know, is about really focusing on the, on, mm. on the, on the, on the middle part. That's really important. Um, but that's a little bit off, off topic and, you know, not quite, quite my message. Mm. Um, all so. right, well, let's, let's, let's turn this all around and get back to where we kind of started so that uh, we can, you know, tie it all together and, and uh, wrap it up. So basically, the work that you're doing is with somebody who is a leader in business, who is looking to uh, find a way to reinvent or discover something new. That rather than continuing to uh, create what they don't want, they put their attention on what they do want and they learn this creative process to enable them to uh, think in new ways. That's a very good summation, Richard. Do you do, do, you do copywriting? <laughs> Maybe I should. So how, how does somebody uh, engage with you, Paul? If somebody's listening to this, they go, oh, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to learn more. What do they do? Uh, well, they can visit my website, which is www.paulfairweather.com which will be in the show notes, Richard. Is that, do you have show notes? Oh, look, I'm sure we do. <laughs> I, I have people to look after. Well. <laughs> but anyway, it's, uh, it's Uh And that's my, that's my, you know, my website. I do have another one, which is, uh, uh, there's a link on that website to my creative portfolio that has some of my art and other things I've done. And, or you can uh, find me via my podcast, which is The Common Creative. There's a few out there with a similar name, uh, but it's with myself and a guy called Chris Meredith. Uh, but there's a link on my website as well. Or they can, you know, drop me a line at uh, paul at paulfairweather.com um, uh, or contact page as per my, uh, my, uh, my website. Well, Paul, I really appreciate your time today. And uh, I hope we have the opportunity to have a second instalment when I uh, can wrap my brains around this first one. <laughs> Thank you, Richard, and thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been a great to re- a great pleasure to reconnect. Lovely. All right, Paul. Thanks for your time, and have a great afternoon. Thank you, Richard. 
Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like to accelerate your executive career journey, Richard invites you to join his CEO Incubator community on LinkedIn. Just search for CEO Incubator in LinkedIn groups and click on the Ask to Join button to apply. We'll see you in the community. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.